Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on communications. Hello, I'm Charles Von Gunten. I want to talk to you today about how to discuss cardiopulmonary resuscitation. I don't think there is any conversation that causes more consternation, particularly among junior doctors, because at most hospitals in the United States, it's frequently the junior doctor, the first year intern, who is having these conversations. And the most perverse way I have ever seen this done, which is routine in American hospitals, is walking into someone's room and saying, do you want us to do everything? And the patient in a frightened way says, yes. And the doctor walks out and says, full code. Now for those of you who are in other countries, that may sound like standard American slang. But I suspect you have similar slang in your countries. So what I want to do is unpack this a little bit be clear about what we mean. But then I want to give you a framework for having this conversation, and it does not start with, do you want us to do everything? Cardiopulmonary resuscitation is a procedure. Like all the procedures in medicine, it has an indication and it has contraindications. CPR, which is the common way it's abbreviated, and often in language it is talked about as CPR, and you will hear it on television as CPR. The basic life support that everyone in the community is taught how to do now that it's only chest compressions, and the advanced cardiac life support that you find in hospitals that emergency medical technicians that the ambulance who is called will do, that constitutes CPR. When you talk to patients about potential treatments, an operation, chemotherapy, a, a treatment regimen that requires extensive physical therapy, you discuss them only if you think they're going to be helpful. And in that joint decision-making, of including patients and family members, helping them understand the situation and what the treatment might do, and then deciding whether or not to do it. That is the model for all treatments and the phenomenon of having to have that conversation with a physician. Now I want you to contrast that in your mind with how these conversations frequently happen because for a whole host of reasons, they're often slightly twisted from that. So it's important to be grounded in where did these treatments come from. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, was developed in the 1950s in response to trauma. The health care that was given to people who had auto crashes because cars and freeways were really coming to the fore in the 50s that's what it was for. Otherwise, healthy people who had had a severe trauma and it was a way to restore life to someone who appeared to be dead. 
It was later expanded to hospitalized patients, but that's not where it was developed. Yes, cardiopulmonary resuscitation can potentially be life-saving. If someone's heart has stopped and restarting it again, if they've stopped breathing and you breathe for them, yes, CPR is the routine emergency approach. But remember, it was developed for people who were otherwise healthy, not with advanced diseases where they were dying as a consequence of the underlying illnesses. But the broad approach in the United States and really around the world is if somebody dies in front of you or looks like they are about to die, there is an assumption that CPR should be started until there is more information. If there is going to be no resuscitation at the time of death, it is a general convention, certainly in the United States and more globally now, that there needs to be a discussion before a do not resuscitate DNR order is entered into the medical record. So that's what we're talking about today. When there is a need for a conversation because there is reason to think that CPR is not going to be helpful and therefore we need to have a conversation before a do not resuscitate order is put into the medical record. But this brings up a very interesting contemporary phenomenon. What is the public perception of CPR versus the scientific fact, the medical reality? A very interesting study that got global coverage when it was performed some years ago was looking at the way illness and death was portrayed on standard television, particularly the healthcare shows that were so popular. When patients die and then get CPR on television, in this study of Tulsky's group that appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine, 66%, two-thirds, survived and survived perfectly well to discharge. Well, that does give the impression to the public who mostly gets their medical information from television that CPR always works, or most always works. Well, what are the real data? That is, if television is not showing an accurate picture. This is the best recent data. This hasn't changed for years. We can divide patients into those who have a cardiac arrest out of the hospital or in the hospital. For those out of hospital, those undergoing CPR, only 11% will survive to discharge from the hospital and only 9% survive with a good functional status, like they saw on television. A dramatic difference. If a layperson, as everyone is trained to do basic CPR at home, survival to discharge is 40%. So there is a reason still to be able to train the population to be able to respond, but it's not 60%. But in the in-hospital setting, which is where these conversations most often happen, survival to discharge is 26% now. And that's of a highly selected inpatient population where DNR orders are already highly prevalent for people with advanced disease. Much worse than the impression given on television.
and surviving with good functional status, meaning walking, talking, able to carry on life as before, only 16%. My point in showing you this data is that you need to be aware that the reality of what CPR can give someone may be very different than the impression that the patient and the family have because they have their information from television. If the patient is frail and old, and by a frail elder I mean an older person who has trouble performing the basic activities of daily living because of weakness and fatigue. This is a common patient you've seen. The frailty of aging. Then survival to discharge is less than 6%. Being frail is a poor prognostic factor for the success of CPR. And for people with advanced chronic illness, the kinds of patients we've been talking about in this overall course on palliative care, then the success of CPR is less than 1%. This slide lists some of the diseases we talk about when we mean chronic illness, the kinds of things that most people who are aging in the world have. Alzheimer's dementia, Parkinson's disease, advanced cancer, advanced heart failure, lung or kidney diseases, less than 1%. The reason for you to know this is because you need to be clear about what CPR can offer before you are presenting or talking about this with a patient and family. So, key points I want you to remember. You need to have an accurate estimation in your mind of what the benefit of cardiopulmonary resuscitation will be in a particular patient before you have a discussion about whether there should be a do not resuscitate order. The patient and family also need to have an accurate understanding of the diagnosis and the prognosis. You can see that when there's a mismatch on the part either of the healthcare professional or of the patients and families, this is when these conversations go awry or you don't get the answer that you are expecting or that you are wanting. It's because there's a mismatch. Let me say a few words about the language, at least that I see, that is commonly used when people talk about CPR and a DNR order. They say, well, when your heart stops, do you want us to start it? If your lungs stop, do you want us to breathe for you and put you on a breathing machine? Think about that. What's the way? When a person's heart stops, or when they stop breathing, in lay terms, they've died. CPR is a way to bring somebody back from death. But if you introduce language that makes it sound like we're talking about automobile parts, if your carburetor stops, do you want us to replace it? If your battery stops, do you want us to jumpstart it? They all sound fixable. So this phrase, if your heart stops, do you want us to start it, is bizarre. Please don't ever use that again. When your heart is stopped, when you aren't breathing, you're dead. That is the language that patients and families understand. But then we bump up against another one of those um, conventions almost all around the world where you've been brought up to think that saying the word dead is somehow impolite. I advocate that you use the word in these conversations so that you're clear and don't use words like pass or when your heart stops because 
you won't be communicating in a way that the patients and families understand. So let's move now to talking about the conversation. A conversation with a patient and family about a do not resuscitate order needs to rest in the setting of a goals of care conversation. Walking in the door and saying, do you want us to do everything, is not in the setting of a goals of care conversation. It needs to be in context. What are the situation we're talking about? When are we talking about doing it? So you need to establish overall goals, then talk about CPR. This is the same globally across all of healthcare. We talk about the big before we talk about the details. CPR is a detail. We need to have a conversation about the big setting first, then we can move to the details. What I want to show you is a video of a conversation I'm having with a patient in order to talk about DNR status. In that conversation, I am using the same structure that you've been exposed to elsewhere that Bob Buckman first used when he described how to break bad news. The six steps, which he then called the SPIKES protocol, an acronym for get the setting right, understand the patient's perception first, which is the most important step, then have an invitation, share your knowledge, be sure to address the emotion, and then address the subsequent plans. I also want you to watch in this video for those parts around the emotion. This card, which you have access to, lists the acronym NURSE, which is a way to be sure that you do those things which will respond to patients' emotions. And for naming the emotion, understanding, respecting, supporting the patient, exploring. Watch for these as you watch this video. This video has a couple of twists in it that surprised me, and we'll talk about those when it's done. Hello, Mr. Robinson. I'm Dr. Von Gunten. Is this still a good time for us to chat? Uh, it, it sure is. Uh, I'm kind of stuck here in bed. I got, I got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I think now that things have settled down, that you've been in the hospital, I wanted a chance to chat with you about your care and particularly plans for the future. Mm. It would help me to understand what you know from, about your current condition from what the doctors have told mm -hmm. you. Well, you know, the, the doctors, uh, you know, they say things like, um, you know, your illness is going to significantly shorten your life. And uh, so I think that's like a code for uh, the wheels are going to come off here before too much longer. Not funny, but, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in some serious trouble yeah. physically. So. Yeah. And... I think it's funny that you notice the kind of jargon that doctors tend to use when they talk about these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to badmouth them. It's just you know sometimes they're not always as direct as you know you wish mm -hmm. they'd be. But so. yeah. is that something you like? Do you like being direct? Uh, well, yeah, I like I like things kind of straight up. Mm -hmm. uh, Short of brutal, though. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 really. Well, so you said um, you got the message that they think the wheels are going to come off. Yeah. Tell me more about 
what that means for you, what you understand. Well, the, uh, you know, my, my illness is terminal. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, can, I can feel my... I, I mean, I, I know it. Uh, I can feel the change in my body. I mean, I... Uh, you know, it's just harder and harder to do things. I have no energy. I have... Uh, uh, it's just it's just real real difficult i mean to do normal things uh walk get out of bed you know it's 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 all quite difficult at this point well that that jives with what they've told me that mm-hmm. the heart failure is getting worse mm-hmm. and that it's getting worse despite everything they've tried yeah oh yeah oh boy we've we've yeah really yeah we i i i've uh I've funded a lot of physicians' trips to Mallorca. I mean, <laughs> a lot of, yeah, I, I, I've seen it. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are you expecting? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I have to, to get resigned to all this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, th- I, think, I think I'm doing okay. I, I, I don't have regrets about the life I've had. I, I really don't. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about these things to the people around me, you know, because everybody's coaching me and, you know, you know, you know, there's, you know, we'll get some medicine or there'll be some procedure. But this is, things are, things are just winding down. It's, it's inexorable. You know, it's, uh, it's just a, steady downward slide so mm-hmm. i guess thinking about it i kind of even forgot what you asked me mm-hmm. yeah so. well so it, again that jives with what i understand from your doctors uh-huh. that uh, this is getting worse and so i think it makes sense to be thinking about how you want this next part of your life to be including mm-hmm. the time when you die mm-hmm. what are you hoping for what what would the best be knowing what you know about your illness yeah uh well i you know i i no more clinics no more of this stuff mm-hmm. um uh i i want to uh, i have a nice home mm-hmm. uh, you know it's not a palace but i want to go home i'd like to die at home mm-hmm. the big stumbling block for me is uh my wife uh mm-hmm. and uh you know, I, I don't. I don't want to be a bird. She loves me. I love her. Uh, uh, we don't have a perfect relationship, but I don't want to be a burden to her, and I don't uh, want to suck the life out of my children either. I mean, they they have young young kids, mm-hmm. so uh, I just want to go home and uh, uh, ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, and I and I I prefer. Uh, you know, I. Prefer not to unduly suffer. I'm not pre- thinking it's going to be a picnic, but you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to have minimal uh, discomfort. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty, pretty much what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And many people with your kind of with heart failure like yours, thinking about how they want their end of their life to be, also think about dying. Uh-huh. Have you ever thought about how you want that to be? Uh, well, yeah, I've 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 thought about it a lot. Not too many people will talk with me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my buddies are all you know. Oh, hey, let's go. You know, uh, 
uh, I, I, uh, I'd like to just go to sleep. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think I, uh, I mean, it's not like I'm an expert in last things, but I think that's, you know, that's my hope that I go to sleep and don't suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe it'd be a semi-comatose. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. So I'm thinking. Well, what I've heard you say is that you know that the heart failure is getting worse, mm-hmm. and that despite the best efforts of your doctors, it's it's going to keep getting yeah, worse, yeah. and you want to be comfortable, but when the time comes to die, you want that to be as painless and comfortable as possible, and you really want a natural death. I, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I do, I do. So one of the things I think I should do in the medical record today is I should write what we call a do not resuscitate order. And that, what that means is if you should die here in the hospital, that we would allow natural death to happen and we wouldn't use heroic measures to try and reverse death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you want? Uh, yeah, you know, I've thought, I've thought about that. Uh, I do not, I don't want to, I do not want to be a burden. You know, I mm-hmm. pull, I've pulled my weight. I've, you know, I've carried my share i don't want to uh, uh you know i don't want to be in a situation where you know i'm gorked you know i mean excuse me that's not but that's technical yeah, language yeah, I, yeah, I understand what you mean yeah i mean I, I i it's not like i've spent a lot of time in nursing homes but i don't want that i don't really want that whether you're just out of it that's not fair to anybody. It's maybe not even fair to me. Okay. So, so I'm hearing in addition to uh, putting the DNR order in the chart, we should also talk some about how best to care for you. And particularly, I'm also hearing that you don't want uh, life-prolonging measures as you get close to dying. That as long as you're comfortable, so you want comfort care when that time comes. Precisely, you know. I mean, yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, I don't want to be thirsty. I don't want to be in pain. But no, I don't. I don't want the troops swooping in. You know, sticking stuff in me. I mean, okay. Well, I will write the order and to make sure that happens. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. This this is. uh, I mean, I seem kind of calm, but this has been a difficult conversation. But. I, I appreciate get you know like at least getting some of this laid out right okay. and I want to assure you we're going to still keep taking the best care of you we know how mm-hmm. this is just planning for the future so good. that we can good do this I, got the way gr- you want. I got great insurance <laughs> yeah yeah give me the best <laughs> all right we'll do that yeah all, all right. right thanks yeah. very much okay sure yeah. So I'm I'm going to write then a DNR order in the chart so that we don't use heroic measures at the time that you die. Mm-hmm. C- can you elaborate a little bit? I mean, you know, maybe be a little more specific mm-hmm. as to what that means. Or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the word resuscitation is refers to a whole series of procedures where we use electric shocks to try and start your heart Mm -hmm. or put you on a breathing machine 
things that we would do after you died to try and reverse the death and bring you back. Mm -hmm. And uh, that it's, that's not real appealing. Um, but does that make sense? Have you seen that on television? Or well, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a TV person, but I get it. I mean, I, I I don't I don't want the troops coming in and you know doing that. What is it, code blue or whatever? That's or one of the words yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I you know again I um, I don't want to suffer. I, I want a chance at what time I have, but I don't I don't want. You know, I, I just don't want to call out the troops, you know. And, and yeah, for, yeah. for me to be clear, we're going to keep doing everything we can mm -hmm. to keep you as comfortable and as well as possible. Mm -hmm. And we're only talking about what we would do when you die. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anything before you die, we're going to try and keep you well. Yeah. Okay, but once yeah. death happens, we're saying we're not going to try and reverse death. Got it, got it, yeah, got it, yeah, that... That's what I want. Okay. So let's debrief what you saw. There are a couple of things that I really want to emphasize that appeared in this video. The first is when you are at that step of exploring what the patient knows. Did you notice that he had a good understanding of what his doctors had told him? He knew the heart failure was getting worse. And you heard me then summarize to be very clear that I understood that he understood. I then took that a step further and asked him to project into the future. What was he expecting? This is still in that era of the conversation guide for what does the patient know. But we're asking him to tell us what he's been thinking about. So this is a pearl that I learned early on. People who have serious illness, advanced cancer, advanced heart disease, advanced emphysema, they think about dying a lot. But because in our culture, and because of the kinds of things that people say, they get lots of messages not to talk about it. You heard him say that, that he thinks about it, but he can't talk about it. So getting you to ask him, tell me, what you've been thinking. What do you expect in the future? That's the key to the DNR conversation, to get the person talking about what they've already been thinking about. And this fellow, he's been thinking about it, and when he dies, he wants it to be comfortable. And he doesn't want um, heroics, he wants it to be a comfortable death, and preferably at home. That's the kernel. He's told you what he wants, and you know that there is no treatment that can change that. So the need, there is no need to say more other than that. The way to confirm to him to be able to have the outcome he wants, the one he is looking forward to, the one he is expecting, is to write a DNR order so that when he dies, he can die peacefully and comfortably. The second thing I want you to notice about this is this is a standard American, and he's American male. Do you notice how much humor he used? It's pretty typical in the US that when men are uncomfortable, they will use humor to lighten the moment. I, I was not expecting that. This, this was uh, shot as a video straight through without uh, 
edits or, or changes for the, for the main body of this. And when he started laughing, if you notice, I laughed and went with him, but it was, it was very distracting. What I did to bring that back is recognize this is a way to cope. And he's using humor, that's fine, but I didn't let it distract me from the goal. And you notice once I went back to the, the topic, he dropped that and got very serious and was able to talk to me about what he was on his mind. But I had to be able to let him respond in the way he usually does, which is to try and jolly me along and with some luck probably uh, deflecting. The last thing I want you to notice, and this was then a secondary take, because I would say for most patients, that's all you need to do to get the DNR. What do you know? If they know their, their serious illness, what are you expecting? I know I'm gonna die. And then asking them, how do you want that to be? People have thought about this. They've often thought about it in great detail. And then the DNR is the way to confirm, the way to help them achieve what they said they want to achieve. So I put that in the, the, to him, well then I'm going to write a do not resuscitate order in order to achieve what you said you wanted. A few patients, a small number, will want to know, well what procedures are we talking about? What, what are we not going to do? Well, it's fine. Just like when you present a surgical operation, you don't discuss all the details unless the patient really wants to know them. You start big, and then you can go to the small details. That's the time to talk about the details of resuscitation, but in language that the patient can understand, as you saw me demonstrate. So, the main things that I want you to take away from this. The key is to get the patient, or if you're talking with family, or with them together, get them talking first. If you notice throughout this interview, the patient did most of the talking. I'm mostly guided with questions. You want to make sure they have an understanding of the situation, and then ask that additional question, what are they expecting? Ask them to project into the future. Because if they don't think they're going to die, or they're not willing to talk about the death, then you really can't have the DNR talk because that's what we're talking about. And use the language they understand. Use the word dead. Use the word die. In this video you saw very American using um, uh, euphemism for uh, dying, which is the, the wheels popping off the car. For those of you who don't speak English as a, as a first language, that can sound very strange. Um, you have the own idioms in your countries in the way that you approach this. Listen to it, but then make it clear. Use the clear words, and you'll find this as straightforward as I do. I now get called for the patient who won't be DNR to have the conversation, to help get this into a conversational format that's easy and straightforward and gets to the right choice for these patients and families. Start with the big picture. Get into the details only if needed. You do not have to describe the details. Just like for a, an operation that is not needed for a patient, you wouldn't describe it and then tell them not to do it. Only describe the details if they want to know. Thanks very much. Thanks again for tuning in. 
I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum. <laughs>